Rots a righteousness tends to be long. So keep your love on, on. Welcome to the Get Your Love On podcast. This show is dedicated to the family of faith around the globe. In each episode, we learn how to simply walk with God in all his awesome love, incredible power, and authority. It's straightforward, and it's straight from the word. We have free resources for you at getyourloveon.org. That includes free Bible studies and an amazing free video series, all there to answer your questions, build your faith, and of course, we'd love to hear from you. You can always reach out to us by going to getyourloveon.org. Org. We have an amazing episode here, so let's go. Let it shine bright, bright, bright. Keep your love on, 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 on. Don't let it die, don't let it die, don't let it die, no, no. And the only way to solve the spiritual desert that we all, that, that this nation has been existing in for generations now, is with the water of the word. So let's go to Ephesians 4. We'll get right into it because that's what we do here on Get Your Love On. We're, uh, we're sharing God's love through the truth of his word and that means we read the word a lot. And it is the King James Version of the Bible and that's because that is the original translation uh, without any religious or political bias. There's no copyright, so nobody's profiting off the Word of God. It's just the pure Word of God. It's it's the closest to the original ancient languages. And um, the Lord was showing me, you know, it's kind of like if you, if you take care of classic cars and, you know, you go to, you show a classic car, the more it's been modernized, the less value it has. And it's the same thing with the word of God, the more man's mind tries to, quote, modernize it, the less value it has to the human soul that was created to absorb the pure word of God. So that's why it's so important to keep that in mind and and stick to the old precepts, maintain that the state of the old landmarks, so to speak. So that's why we read the King James Version of the Bible here. It's it's the closest to the original translation. And, you know, God doesn't want us to miss out on anything from him. Nothing at all. So it's very encouraging that we have the authorized version to rely on. So this is Ephesians 4 verse 1. This is Apostle Paul speaking. I therefore the prisoner of the Lord beseech you that you walk worthy of the vocation wherewith you are called. The vocation, your our job, our opportunity to make a living. That's a vocation. And Paul is saying, would you walk worthy of your calling in that? That's right. It's our opportunity to make a living, to have a life, a real life before the Lord, not one that's propped up on um, accolades of man or big fancy degrees or anything but the word of God. So let's walk worthy of that vocation wherewith we are called because Paul is beseeching us. Here he is, the prisoner of the Lord. This man gave his entire life Once he found God, he gave his entire life in totality to the Spirit of the Lord, to walking in the Spirit and that vocation. So that's why he can beseech us, because he understands the value of doing so. Verse 2, with all lowliness and meekness, with long-suffering, forbearing one another in love, wouldn't it be nice to see some meekness again in 
the leadership or even across um, the television? Wouldn't that be nice to see some that meekness, that long suffering, some patience being exerted and or spoken of? That's a beautiful thing. And why should we have meekness and lowliness, long suffering and forbearing one another in love? Why is that so important? It's because it's endeavoring to keep the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. Verse four, there is one body and one spirit, even as ye are called in one hope of your calling. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and father of all who is above all and through all and in you all. Isn't that beautiful? You can feel that that unity in that when we rely on our one Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. When we understand that our faith is in him, in his resurrection power. When we have that one baptism, which is in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth for the remission of sins. That's in Acts 2, verse 38. Apostle Peter lays that out beautifully. And if you need further teaching on baptism, it's in our show archives. Go to getyourloveon.org for those show archives. But Paul is saying this is wonderful. We're endeavoring to keep the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. Cool. Cause, and, and how is that possible? It's because there's one body and one spirit one Lord, one faith, and one baptism. That's so special. Don't you love that specificity of God? How specific he is, how precise he is. It's a beautiful comfort to our souls to know when we're walking in that line, when we're walking in that, through that narrow gate, that very narrow gate, it's a real comfort to our souls because we know then we are, we are right with God. And that is, um, that's a beautiful life to live, my dear friends, to have that one Lord and that one faith because we've chosen that one baptism. And it is our choice. Isn't that wonderful too? That, that God gives us the choice. You know, there's a lot of different uh, denominations out there. And the word denomination actually means division. So let's all stand with Christ. Because Christ is not divided, as Paul says. He's not divided. And neither in Ephesians, it's pretty clear that we as Christians shouldn't be as well. And in a time when our nation and our neighbors need the good news of the gospel, the gospel, not a gospel, the gospel, (laughs) let's make sure we've got the right words and the right answers straight from the word of God. Okay, let's do that. Let's help each other and let's team up and give these true answers of who Jesus Christ in Nazareth is and what that one faith can accomplish because we have one Lord, God Almighty. Isn't that neat? Verse 6, again, it says, One God and Father of all, who is above all and through all, and oh yeah, in you all. Today we have a very special message from uh, my spiritual grandfather, Brother Bob, um, and he, you know, he he ministered internationally in South America, in in South America, in Mexico, in uh, South Africa, Australia, across the United States and Canada. Just an incredible ministry for decades. He ministered to whomever would hear the true word of God. There was no denominational doctrine associated with it. Not even close. Cover to cover, word of God, and 
to whomever would listen. He was even considered apostle at large in the, Mor- in the Mormon church because he found such great favor with those seeking God beyond any of man's constructs. And in a time when clearly man's constructs are being, um, shall we say, challenged heavily, and I'm, I'm being pretty light in that term, we need to rely on the word of God. Because it goes well beyond any of man's constructs and right to the heart of the matter. So that's why we'll, we'll hear more from Brother Bob today about how God being in us changes everything. And it's so wonderful. And it is also so important because of that to respect one another in that same vein. As Paul said here, forbearing one another in love. And when we have the Spirit of the Lord in us, it's really easy to do so, and it's a beautiful thing to be able to do so. Okay, in verse 7 here, this is Ephesians 4 again, it says, But unto every one of us is given grace according to the measure of the gift of Christ. Well, there's no limit to Christ. So that grace has been given to us in abundance. So let's make sure we we receive that abundant grace and then also return it to each other, to our brethren, to our neighbor, to those that are hurting, to those that want it. Let's make sure we give that grace as well. It says verse 8, Wherefore he saith when he ascended up on high, he led captivity captive and gave gifts unto men. Now that he ascended, what is it? But the, he also descended first into the lower parts of the earth. He that descended is the same also that ascended up far above all heavens, that he might fill all things. I want you to, I'm going to read that one more time because it's important and Brother Bob discusses it. So I'm going to read that one more time. He that descended, speaking of Christ, is the same also that ascended up far above all heavens, above all heavens, that he might fill all things. We'll hear from Brother Bob about that a little further. And it's really, uh, it's good news. It's exciting because the Lord is so expansive and unlimited. So we get to participate in that as well. Verse 11, Ephesians 4, verse 11. And he gave some apostles and some prophets and some evangelists and some pastors and teachers for the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. We, we need this orchestration of God in our lives, in our nation, across the globe, because if there's ever a time that we are seeing people that need edification, it's now. We need to edify first the body of Christ if we are going to have an edified body to, to go and, and minister and offer answers of hope and faith and love. It says in verse 13, Till we all come in the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God unto a perfect man, unto the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. Wow. You know, the word perfect just means complete and whole. That's all. And when we have Jesus Christ of Nazareth in us, when we have God, the Spirit of God inside us, we are complete and whole in God's eyes. And it's so important to see ourselves and each other through God's eyes, not through the natural mind, not through our, not by an outward appearance, but through God's eyes. 
That's how we come together in the unity of the faith is through the knowledge of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, the Son of God. And then we allow that perfecting to happen. We allow that completeness, that wholeness to come unto the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. Wow. Verse 14, this is awesome. That we henceforth be no more children, tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the slight of men and cunning craftiness, whereby they lie in wait to deceive. Mm-hmm. Yeah, if you've ever felt like you're just a ping pong ball trying to figure out what you believe or where to stand, let's rest in the word of God right here. Because as we have apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers, find yourself a body that has this. And if you don't, if you're in a church right now and they don't have the fivefold ministry in working order, ask the pastor or the teacher, why not? Why not? Let's get it. We can. It's in the word of God. It must be possible. God doesn't set us up to fail. He sets us, he's given us eternal victory. So we know we can have this. It's in the word of God. Let's get it. Let's ask the right questions and let's get after it so that we can all be perfected for the work of the ministry and the edifying of the body of Christ so that we can come in the unity of the faith and that we, we can have the full knowledge of Jesus Christ of Nazareth and we can allow that perfecting to happen. So that we henceforth are no more children tossed to and fro, you know, playing ping pong with your life, with your heart, with your mind, with your soul. Mm -mm, God doesn't want that. No, he wants each and every one of us individually. Isn't that beautiful? Individually, first choose God, believe him, and then stand, stand with the word of God. And then we won't be carried about with every wind of doctrine. (laughs) Oh, today I believe this, but tomorrow I believe that. Oh, I'll, I'll, I'll look at this scripture, but not that one. I'm only going to pay attention to this one because it makes me feel good, but this one makes me a little nervous. I'm not, nope, it's not necessary. Ask God for perfect understanding. He'll give it to you. It says he gives liberally. He'll give it to you. It's so important, though, that we be no more children, that we become mature Christians and, and aren't convinced by these so-called ministers out there, so-called that are basically, you know, high-priced motivational speakers, uh, that we're not convinced by them, carried about by every wind of doctrine, by the slight of men, hmm, by the cunning craftiness. So, the, yeah, there are people out there that want to use the, the name Jesus and they want to use the word of God for their own craftiness to deceive the human soul. Paul was talking about it back here. How much more so now today? Hmm. Got some questions, huh? It's it's important to have the right answers, the full answers, not partial answers, not sort of maybe okay answers, but the right answers. And we have that here today in the word of God, and we can access it individually through the word of God. You don't need some big shot. As Brother Bob would say, he's just a little squirt under high pressure. No, we need the word of God and that's that's it. Whereby they lie in wait to deceive. Okay, that's, that's verse 14. I love verse 15 because there's a but to start out. Okay, here's the victory in Christ. But speaking the truth in love, 
we may grow into him in all things, which is the head, even Christ. We are the head, we are not the tail. From whom the whole body fitly joined together and compacted by that which every joint supplieth, according to the effectual working in the measure of every part, makes increase of the body unto the edifying of itself in love. We all have our place in the body of Christ when we choose to accept Christ as our Lord and Savior, when we choose to seek God. He creates our spot in the body, and it's so beautiful. It's fitly joined together. Just like when you're, if you're running or, or if you're doing anything physical, even lifting something, how many joints are involved in lifting your young child? And without one of them working properly, you wouldn't be able to hug your child. And that's the same thing with the body of Christ. With As we come together and we're jointly joined, we get to hug each other and it, and it helps and it heals the land. We get to embrace our neighbors in love and watch them succeed in this life. That's what's going to happen as the body of Christ is fitly joined together and unified. It'll edify itself in love. And then all those that are seeking love, joy, and peace that are hurting will know exactly where to go for their answers. Verse 17, This I say, therefore, and testify in the Lord, that ye henceforth walk not as other Gentiles walk in the vanity of of their mind, having the understanding darkened, being alienated from the life of God through the ignorance that is in them because of the blindness of their heart, who being past feeling have given themselves over unto lasciviousness. Lasciviousness is all uncleanness. It's, it's the, the scum. It's the scum. It says to work all uncleanness with greediness. Isn't this incredible what the Lord was showing Paul thousands of years ago? And is it incredible that the word of God is still so alive today, right now, because we're seeing that happen. So that's why Paul says, this I say, therefore, walk no more as the Gentiles walk, as those who don't know God in the vanity of their own mind, making stuff up or, or trying to market the word of God. It's the best-selling book in the history of mankind. You think God needs your help marketing it? <laughs> Newsflash. God is already victorious. We get to be part of God's work. Okay? So that's why we, it, it's a change of mind. It's a letting go of the way the natural mind works and walking in the fullness of the Spirit of God. That's why he says, don't walk as the Gentiles walk in the vanity of their own mind, the uselessness of the natural mind, which only knows what it's learned to this point. But with the Spirit of God, we're not limited to the natural mind. God can show you something in the drop of a hat. And this has personally happened to me many times before where I was in a professional environment and I was speaking forth and the Lord just perfectly anointed my words. And after the meeting I got done, I was like, I don't think I actually knew that. I think God, God gave me that knowledge immediately and it was perfect. And God can do that through the spirit of the, of, 
through his spirit. But the natural mind can't do that because it, it's limited. So when we walk, when we repent, that's why Peter started with that repent and be baptized. That repentance not only says, Lord, I'm sorry for everything from my past, but it also says, Lord, I want your mind. I want to renew my mind. I want a new mind. And then we will no longer be walking as other Gentiles, as those who don't know God in vanity. We will be walking in truth and grace and love. And then the Lord talks about here too, I'm sorry, Paul talks in verse 18 that understanding becomes darkened, having the understanding darkened, being alienated from the life of God through the ignorance that is in them because of the blindness of their heart. Who being past feeling, I'm just going to read this again, being past feeling have given themselves over unto lasciviousness. You see that that again illustrates the choice we have. Each individual to walk in the spirit of the Lord, to walk in faith, to enjoy the love of the Lord, or to give themselves over unto lasciviousness and work all uncleanness with greediness. Mm. And here, here we go, verse 20. But ye have not so learned Christ. If so be that ye have heard him and have been taught by him as the truth is in Jesus, that ye put off concerning the former conversation, the old man, which is corrupt according to the deceitful lusts, and be renewed in the spirit of your mind. Isn't that wonderful and exciting? That's what we get to do through the spirit of Christ. We put off those old habits, those old ways of doing things, those old ways of thinking, that old victimization too. If you've been victimized in your life, which so many have, and that victimization creates scarring and creates damage. Well, through the spirit of Christ, we can heal that damage. We can put off all those old hurts and those old pains and be renewed in the spirit of our, of the Lord. This is Ephesians 4. This is verse 24. And that ye put on the new man, which after God is created in righteousness and true holiness. I love Apostle Paul. I love reading his epistles. I love the whole word of God, but this is so wonderful. Number one. We get to choose again whether or not we put on that new man or cling to that old past. That's our choice. But when we do put on the new man, we can rest assured that that new man is created after God and in righteousness and true holiness. I love that Apostle Paul used that word true right there. True holiness. Not fake humility, not fake holiness, not fake it till you make it. No, true holiness. We walk in that pure confidence because we are that new man created after God. Isn't that wonderful and beautiful? That's, that really is the crux of the matter here. For, the, for those who are, have been in church for years and years and years and you haven't felt righteous, or you haven't felt truly holy? Isn't this beautiful that Apostle Paul is giving us all? He's laying it out for us. He's giving us that game plan. How to repent and be baptized. That's Apostle Peter, Acts 2.38. One more time, just need to reiterate that. 
because it's in the word of God. So it's there for a reason. Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, for the remission of sins. And ye shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promises unto you and to your children and to all that are far off, even as many as the Lord our God shall call. And then he also goes on to say, save yourself from this untoward generation. So that's why it's so important. So when we listen to that and then we say, oh, yeah, and that's how we put on the new man. And that's how we feel righteous and truly holy. It is possible, my beloved friends. It is possible and it is required by the word of God, actually. So God doesn't set us up to fail. He sets us up for eternal victory. And that's a wonderful way to live a life. Verse 25. Wherefore, oh, this is really, this is awesome. I love this. Lord, thanks so much for your word. I just, I want to rejoice in it right now because it's so awesome. Okay, verse 25. Wherefore, putting away lying, speak every man truth with his neighbor, for we are members one of another. Be ye angry and sin not. Let not the sun go down upon your wrath. So the Lord does give us that latitude and that liberty to recognize injustice and to call it out and to say, this is wrong. But also give it to the Lord and say, yeah, I know the scripture says vengeance is mine, saith the Lord. So we won't be sinning in that. In fact, we don't even have to go more than a day with that righteous indignation. Be ye angry and sin not. Give it to God and then let not the sun go down upon your wrath. Give it to, th- give it to the Lord and then sleep well, my beloved friends. And then here's verse 27. Neither give place to the devil. So Satan is a liar. He's a thief. He's a robber. He's a destroyer. And uh, we aren't to give place to that. We aren't to excuse it. We aren't to minimize it. Oh, it's mostly okay. No, none of it's okay. None of it's okay. Don't give place to Satan. Here's what it says in verse 28. Let him that stole steal no more, but rather let him labor, working with his hands, the thing which is good, that he may have to give to him that needeth. Isn't that wonderful? Let him that stole steal no more. Let's just put an end to it. Stop it and and move into that repentance. Say, Lord, I'm sorry. I want a new life before you. And then you'll see how the Lord allows your labors to prosper. It says in verse 29, Let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth, but that which is good to the use of edifying, that it may minister grace unto the hearers. And as we do this one towards another and within our communities and with with whatever platform the Lord's given us, as we minister grace unto the hearers, we'll see that trickle down. We'll see more graciousness. We'll see a healthier conversations, real conversations that actually accomplish some positive change. As we, be, as we lead by example, we will see the Lord just usher in a beautiful, a, a beautiful new dispensation. As we use our communication to edify and minister grace. That again is Ephesians 4 verse 29. Let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth, but that which is good to the use of edifying, 
that it may minister grace unto the hearers. And grieve not the Holy Spirit of God, whereby ye are sealed unto the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. This is really important. There's a lot of bitterness and wrath and anger and clamoring out in the, if you watch the news, if you look at social media, there's a lot of this. And if we want our hearts and minds to, it's it's a protection actually, to put away all of that with all malice. Just put it all away. Just let it all go. And if that's the only thing on your timeline, personally, when I feel that way and and whenever I feel there's a bombardment of just negativity and all this junk, close it down, put the phone in another room, open up my word, go to Psalms, go to Ephesians, go to Romans. There's so many wonderful things that we can be edified in, in the word of God. And or I'll call, I'll call a near and dear friend, hear the voice, hear the angel in their voice. And just how can I pray for you? That's awesome. Yeah. How are you doing? That's great. Cool. That's how we can do that. But we need to put all bitterness, wrath, and anger. And if that means you leave your TV off for a few days at a time, well, that's what that means. <laughs> so bless God that we have the word of God to discover new and wondrous things. And we don't need to rely on any kind of other um, media because it's full of bitterness and wrath. And we get to put away, we get to put that away from us. I love this. This is verse 32. And be ye kind one to another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, even as God, for Christ's sake, hath forgiven you. That's amazing. And it's a beautiful chapter, Ephesians 4, a beautiful chapter, especially in this day and age where there is so much pain spilling out in the streets and people that don't have answers and so they're just doing whatever they see on television. Well, let's give them the answers straight from the word of God in truth and sincerity. And I love that, too, that Paul says, be kind one to another. We don't have to. We, we get to be kind and tenderhearted. And that means we shouldn't be putting one another down. That's what that means, too. And there's there's a little uh, this message from Brother Bob is called the put-down spirit because it happens a lot in churches. Um, there are constructs of man, again, that makes it seem as though um, God is in one denomination or another. But God is, is much larger than any, quote, division. He's not in any denomination. He's in the word, cover to cover. And Brother Bob, again, ministered across the globe and saw that the human soul doesn't need denominational doctrine. The human soul needs the word of God. But a lot of times in order to create those constructs, there's a put down. One denominational put down another denomination and all that. It's not necessary and it's not of God. And this message is from Brother Bob. It's called the put down spirit. I think you'll enjoy it. Hello, folks. I'm going to get right into my message today, St. John 10. My message today is on the put-down spirit. This spirit is very common among us today, especially among the educated people. 
and the very poor alike. It's a bad spirit. It's something that Christ would not tolerate if he were walking among us in person today. And he won't tolerate it in the hereafter either. If you use it now, you'll suffer for it later. I'm also going to teach you how not to do it anymore, especially among one another, because you are so important to God, especially in these last days. People, you are a living soul, and it's imperative that you live according to God's word and his commandments. Otherwise, your eternity will be an eternity of sorrow. I'm going to start with the first verse here in chapter 10 of St. John. Verily I say unto you, he that enters not by the door into the sheepfold, but climbs up some other way, the same is a thief and a robber. Now a man can be a thief and a robber in many ways, which I'll explain later on in the message. But he that enters in by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him the porter opens, and the sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name, and leads them out. I am going to lead you out today, out into a better life, a better disposition, a better day, and a better time for your future. And when he puts forth his own sheep, he goes before them, and the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. That's another thing I'm going to try to endeavor to do today, is to acquaint you with the voice of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, your Savior. A stranger will they not follow, but will flee from him, for they know not the voice of strangers. This parable spake Jesus unto them, but they understood not what things they were which he spake unto them. Then said Jesus unto them, Verily I say unto you, I am the door of the sheep. In other words, Christ is the door to your eternity and your sheepfold, or your pasture, or the opening to your house. All that ever came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not hear them. I am the door. By me, if any man enter in, he shall be saved, and shall go in and out and find pasture or food for his soul. The thief comes not but for to steal and to kill and to destroy. That's what the put-down spirit does. It steals, it kills, and it destroys. It steals your victory physically, spiritually, and financially. It kills your soul, and it destroys your eternity. He says, I am come that they might have life, and that they might have it more abundantly. Speaking of you people. Jesus said, I've come to give you life, and a better life, and more abundant on top of a better life. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd gives his life for the sheep. Now that's a far cry from a put-down spirit, isn't it? But he that is a hireling, and not the shepherd, whose own sheep are not, sees the wolf coming, and leaves the sheep, and flees, and the wolf catches them, and scatters the sheep. There's the work of the put-down spirit today. There's other names for that spirit also, which I'll probably reveal before I finish this message today. The hireling flees because he is a hireling and cares not for the sheep. You pastors out there that are look, looking and watching and listening to this program today, you take heed to what I'm saying, because some of you are put-down spirits. Some of you are hirelings. 
you're going to have to change your ways. Because God's judgment is upon your back now, and the judgment of the sheep that you call your own. For I am the good shepherd, and know my sheep, and am known of mine. As the Father knows me, even so know I the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. Jesus kept repeating that. I will lay down my life for the sheep. And other sheep I have which are not of this fold. In other words, there's no group or no uh, few people just themselves going to make heaven or glory. Now there's another put-down spirit, that religious spirit that says we're the only ones that's going to make it, or we've got it, or we're the only ones that are right. No, Jesus said he has many sheep in other folds. Mm -hmm. Take heed what I'm saying today. He said, them also I must bring, and they shall hear my voice, and there shall be one fold, and one shepherd. Now, if there's only going to be one fold and one shepherd, why do you put one another down? Why can't you Methodists and Baptists and Catholics and Jews and Christians and Pentecostals and all of you so-called Pentecostal people and religious people get together and be one because you're all supposed to be under Christ anyhow? If you're just under your denomination, you're not going to make it. You're under a hireling. So why don't you all get together and worship God together? Mm -hmm. Because it's Jesus or none anyhow. You might as well just have one shepherd. Uh-huh. Think about what I'm saying now and get rid of your put-down spirits. Because he don't belong to this church, we can't do anything for him. Or because he don't belong to our little group, we can't do anything for him or them or they or whatever. That's a put-down spirit. Take you to hell. Therefore doth my father love me because I lay down my life that I might take it again. No man takes it from me, <clears throat> but I lay it down of myself. I have power to lay it down, and I have power to take it again. This commandment have I received of my Father. Now here comes the put-down spirit. Here's the way it works. There was a division, therefore, among the Jews for these sayings. And many of them said, put down, he hath a devil, and is mad. Why hear you him? Now there's the put-down spirit. Many of them said he hath a devil. Others said he's mad. Another said, why hear him? Better hear him. <laughs> because he's the door to wherever you think you're going in the hereafter. If you think you're going to make heaven, he's the door to that heaven. If you know you're going to make glory, he's the door to that glory. Mm -hmm. And I'm not going to let anybody put me down even in heaven. I'm not going to settle even for the put down of heaven. I'm going to glory. My Bible says where Jesus is, there ye shall be also, and he ascended above all heavens. <coughs> Others said, there, these are not the words of him that hath a devil. Can a devil open the eyes of a blind man or of the blind? Can a devil open the eyes of the blind? And it was at Jerusalem, the feast of the dedication, and it was winter. And Jesus walked in the temple in Solomon's porch. Then came the Jews round about him and said unto him, How long dost thou make us to doubt? Now there's another put down spirit. They accused him of creating doubt there. And my Bible says, he that believeth and doubteth not shall enter therein. See, there was the put-down spirit again. Here's another one. If thou be the Christ, tell us plainly. If you be the Christ, tell us. Tell us. Listen how Jesus handled that put-down spirit. Jesus answered them, I told you, and you believed me not. The works that I do in my Father's name, they bear witness of me. But you believed me not, because you are not of my sheep, 
as I said unto you. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. Anybody that believes in Christ won't doubt his word. They won't doubt the word as it's read right out of the Holy Book Scripture. Anybody that belongs to Christ will believe the words that I say today because they're written right here and have been written for centuries, many centuries. And nobody's ever changed them. And there are millions and millions of people upon the earth today that have his spirit, that are believers, and are proof that Christ is the door, that Jesus Christ is the way, the truth, and the life. And he said, I give unto them eternal life, and they shall never perish, neither shall any man pluck them out of my hand, or neither shall any man put them down, in other words. No man will talk them down or talk them out of what they've got. No man could talk me out of what I know and believe, because I feel what I believe. And there's millions of Christians out there that can avouch that they feel what I say today. And they can feel what Christ says in his word. And there are literally millions that have seen him and have seen visions of him and know that he is true and that he lives. I know that Jesus Christ is true and lives today. My Father which gave them me is greater than all, and no man is able to pluck them out of my Father's hand. I and my Father are one, one Spirit, one in Him. And you can be one with Him also, because Jesus Himself gave us the opening when He said, Ye must be born again of the water, the blood, and the Spirit. And in another place He said, Be ye perfect, even as your Father, which in heaven is perfect. Now there's a little bumper sticker, a put-down Spirit on a bumper sticker going across the country today. And it says thus, Christians are not perfect, they are just saved. <clears throat> well, Christians, if you're not perfect, you're far from being saved. Because God's word says, be ye perfect, be you perfect, even as your Father which is in heaven is perfect. Now, I am perfect. I know I am perfect. I am perfect before God and in the eyes of God. And I'm not just saved. I'm sanctified. I'm glorified. And I'm ready to meet God at his coming soon, or his soon coming, any way you want to look at it. <laughs> now, I made that statement because I know what I feel. And folks, it's better felt than telt. But I'm telling it to you today so you can feel it. So you can feel the same joy and the same power and the same glory that I feel here today at this time. He said, repeated again, he said, I and my Father are one. I and my Father are one. One what? One Spirit. God's Spirit fills all of heaven and earth. It fills all of eternity. It fills all the galaxies, plus all the galaxies, plus what's beyond all the galaxies. And I am part of it, because I'm one with God. Then the Jews took up stones again to stone him. Jesus answered them, Many good works have I showed you from my Father. Of which of these works do you stone me? <clears throat> now those people had such a put-down spirit that they couldn't even see beyond their own doubt and unbelief to see the works that he had just done before them. Just a few scripture back, he had opened the eyes of a blind man. And yet they were so blind spiritually, they did not even see the miracle. Neither did they hear his words. And there's a lot of you folks out there that are in that same condition today. 
You're so blind spiritually, you can't even understand what I'm saying. Because you've got a put-down spirit, a spirit of fear, a spirit of doubt, a spirit of hatred. Do you know, if you'll open your ears and let these words that I'm saying to you seek deep into those ears today, God will change you and give you a power and a glory and a life that's worth living, both now and forever. The Jews answered him, saying, For a good work we stone thee not, but for blasphemy. See, there's that put-down spirit again. They didn't even know what they were talking about. <clears throat> they didn't even know him. They hadn't walked with him. And because that thou, being a man, makest thyself God. Now I'm going to give you one of the greatest mysteries of the Bible today. One of the greatest. Jesus answered them, Is it not written in your law? I said, speaking of himself, speaking that Jesus said it himself, You are God's plural. Did you people know that God said to the believers that you are a God? You are a God on this earth, whether you want to believe it or not. If he called them gods unto whom the word of God came, and the scripture cannot be broken, now I'm going to give you one of the greatest mysteries of the world today. You are a God, whether you know it or not. Say ye of him whom the Father hath sanctified and sent into the world, thou blasphemest, because I said, I am the Son of God. He said, If I do not the works of my Father, believe me not. But if I do, though ye believe me not, believe the works that ye may know and believe that the Father is in me and I in him. Let's go a little further here, and then I'll go back to another scripture and show you something. Therefore they sought again to take him, but he escaped out of their hand. They sought to take him because he told them that they were gods, if they wanted to be. Now, I'm going to take you over to Psalm 82, and I'm going to show you one of the greatest mysteries of the gospel of this time. But before I do, I would like to quote from memory a scripture from Genesis. In the beginning, God created heaven and earth. <coughs> God created it. The scientists are trying to say it happened with a big bang. The evolutionists are trying to do away with God also and say we came from slime. And we evolved from fish, and slime from the ocean, and monkeys, and a porpoise, and whatever. Well, <coughs> slime is still slime. A porpoise is still a porpoise. A monkey is still a monkey in his cage, if you can catch him. The way the human race is going today, they're not even smart enough to catch a monkey, especially his own habitation that God put him in, because he had sense enough to fear man and run from him or to have dominion over these things. But it also said, And God created man. In the image of God created he him. And it said, And God <clears throat> breathed the breath of life into man, and he became a living soul. Now, if I was able to create a man, before these cameras, I could create a man and get up and breathe the breath of life into that man. <clears throat> that man would have to be the same as me, at least equal thereof. Now, that's just common sense. Well, God created you, and he gave you the opportunity to serve him or to disbelieve him and become a vessel of refuse or a castaway. Me? I prefer to stand up and say that I am 
heart of God, and that I will be a God in the hereafter, and equal with God in the hereafter, because I believe what God has said to me. Now, would you like more proof of what I've just said? Psalm 82. Psalm 82.1. Listen to this very carefully, because I'm giving you one of the greatest mysteries that the world has ever known or ever will know. I'm giving you one of the first mysteries that every minister in every church that names himself as a minister of God or as a minister of the gospel should already have told you a long time ago and known himself or herself, whichever. <clears throat> they got the same book I've got. You've got the same book I've got, a good old King James Version of the Bible. Read it for yourself. Psalm 82.1. God, capital G, capital O, capital D. God stands in the congregation of the mighty. He judges among the gods. Let me ask you a question. Who's the God? If it isn't you, it couldn't be somebody less or something less. Because in the image of God created you like him. Mm -hmm. In the image of God, he created you like him. Now, who's he talking about? Oh, don't get excited now. Don't run away. There's more. How long will you judge unjustly or judge by a put-down spirit and accept the persons of the wicked? You see, God can put you down too for using a put-down spirit. How long will you judge unjustly? I've had sons of the devil accost me right in public and try to put me down because somewhere along the line, I had rebuked them for stealing, cheating, and lying. And some of you thieves and liars that I've caught up on are watching these telecasts, and you know I'm telling the truth. Otherwise, you wouldn't be boiling inside with a put-down spirit like you are now so you can run out and say, I don't believe what that preacher's preaching. You can't wait till this is over so you can run downtown or run somewhere and tell somebody that I'm a hypocrite or something. See, I know you because you've admitted it to me to my face, especially around my own little old hometown. Mm -hmm. I've caught up on every thief and liar and miserable creep around my hometown. <laughs> Maybe I should have said creature instead of creep or creepy creature. That's more like it. Mm -hmm. I heard a few snickers from my audience today. I hope some of you folks find it amusing. It'll do your soul good to laugh for a change and to find some humor in God's word. You know, God is a God of humor also. God actually created you for his pleasure. I'm going to repeat this Psalm 82 again. God standeth in the congregation of the mighty. He judges among the gods. Mm -hmm. He's judging among you people today because you are, as a God before him, you that believe and have knowledge of his word. I've got another scripture here. Psalm, let's go to 82, six. Psalm 82.6, I have said you are gods, and all of you are the children of the Most High, you believers. But ye shall die like men and fall like one of the princes. Now, if you wasn't a god, you wouldn't fall like a prince. I wonder why he said that. Well, in Revelations, he said, ye shall be kings and priests forever unto God. Now, if you're a king and a priest unto God in the hereafter, <coughs> then you'd almost have to be a god on this earth, wouldn't you? Well, that's exactly what you are. You'll die like a man, but you'll fall like a prince. Let's go to Psalm 97, 7. Confounded be all they that serve graven, graven images, that boast themselves of idols. Worship him, speaking of Jesus, all you gods. What do you think of that? 
Isn't that great? What do you think of that? Isn't that something? Isn't that marvelous? To know that you can be perfect on this earth now, not just saved, but perfect, that you are as a God before God and man, yet God has reserved his power for you even now unto eternal life, even now to overcome this world, even now you have power to believe what I'm saying, you have the right and the power to be equal with God now, or part of his spirit. Let me give you some more scripture. In Psalm 99.1 it says this, <clears throat> The Lord reigns, let the people tremble, he sitteth between the cherubims, let the earth be moved. The Lord is great in Zion, and he is high above all the people. Let them praise that great and terrible name, for it is holy. Let them praise that mighty name of Jesus Christ. Because the Bible says that at the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow, and every mouth is going to confess. So why not confess him now? Why not receive him and let him be part of you now? Let him fill you with his spirit. For it says here, the king's strength also loves judgment. Thou dost establish equity. Thou executest judgments and righteousness. Exalt thee, ye the Lord our God, and worship at his footstool, for he is holy. You know what his footstool is? Right where you see it. Glory in heaven, and the earth is his footstool. <coughs> worship him now while you have the chance, folks. Become a God before him. Entreat him as the almighty God. Because the eighth verse of Psalm 99 says this, Thou wilt answer them, O Lord our God. Thou wast a God that forgavest them, though thou tookest vengeance of their invention. Exalt the Lord our God, and worship at his holy hill. For the Lord our God is holy. And since God created you in his image, and breathed the breath of life into you, he says, Be ye holy, for I am holy. How do you become holy? simply by believing his word and receiving his spirit and start worshiping the living God as a God in spirit and in truth. And this word here is spirit and it is truth. All you have to do is to believe. I want to thank you all for listening and watching today. May God richly bless you all. Uh, we're talking about how to unify the body of Christ and how to do so through the word. And we just heard from Brother Bob, again, a, a great man of God, uh, ministered internationally with zero denominational constructs, just from the word of God, cover to cover. Keep it simple. He used to say, I'm just going to keep a book simple. And that's how we get to live as well. That's what gives us the confidence and the intentional propulsion of the Spirit of God in our life. That's what does it, is knowing our word for ourselves. We have another incredible minister now, too. So that was that was Brother Bob, and he ministered very strongly on the importance of the human soul, the status that each of us have in God's eyes. And when we see ourselves that way, we'll will have that confidence and faith as well. Now we have his wife, an incredible woman of God, and you've heard her on this show before. Her name's Carol. Uh, in this message, we learn about how Apostle Paul was so good at unifying 
Christians and Jews. So it wasn't about separating. It was about unification around the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. And so here is our dear friend, Carol. Uh, Let's listen really closely so that we can hear how we can do the same in our communities, unify all those, all believers. And Paul was doing this in the early church, and it still is entirely and gloriously applicable in this day and age as well. So here's our dear friend, Carol. This is Paul and how he unifies Jews and Christians. Well, our beloved apostle Paul knew how to bring Jews and Christians, I'm talking about new Christians, real Christians, he knew how to bring them together. And it was quite a process at the first. So we're going a little journey here through uh, Acts 15 and start in uh, the first verse because the the elders at Jerusalem had to come to certain conclusions. Um, And let's just find out what, how they processed this coming together of new disciples of the Lord along with the old traditional Jews. Now some some of the traditional Jews were converted and then there came Gentiles. So we had to, Paul knew how to bring both of those worlds to a peaceful union and he knew how to bring them together in their hearts and minds. So we'll begin in Acts 15. And certain men which came down from Judea taught the brethren and said, Except ye be circumcised after the manner of Moses, you cannot be saved. Oh, oh, here we have, we're going to avoid some dissension here. So what did they do? Well, let's keep going. When therefore Paul and Barnabas had no small dissension and disputation with them, they determined that Paul and Barnabas and certain others of them should go up to Jerusalem unto the apostles and elders about this question. And being brought on their way by the church, they passed through Phoenix and Samaria. Now, the word for church there is translated ecclesia. It's the called out ones, the ones that were to be truly born again, baptized underwater and filled with the Holy Spirit of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. That's the church we're talking about. And even in today's um, realm, we're talking about the ecclesia, the called out ones, the the remnant of God's people, the true church of God. So being brought on their way by the church, they passed through Phoenix and Samaria, declaring the conversion of the Gentiles. And they caused great joy unto all the brethren. And when they were come to Jerusalem, they were received of the church and of the apostles and elders. And they declared all things that God had done with them. But there rose up certain of the sect of the Pharisees, which believed. Now they believed, but they were of this sect and very strict in their ruling. And you got to do it this way. You got to do it that way. They rose up and said that saying it was needful to circumcise them and to command them to keep the law of Moses. And the apostles and elders came together for to consider of this matter. And when there had been much disputing, Peter rose up and said unto them, Men and brethren, you know how that a good while ago God made choice among us that the Gentiles by my mouth should hear the word of the gospel and believe. So here's a big change coming into the whole scene. And God, he said, which knoweth the hearts, bear them witness. 
giving them the Holy Ghost, even as he did unto us, and put no difference between us and them, purifying their hearts by faith. So it was quite a transition from Old Testament times into New Testament times here, and they're feeling it. They're feeling both the pain and the joy of it. But they end up, with Paul's teaching, they end up coming together. It's really neat. He says, now why, where, now therefore, why tempt ye God to put a yoke upon the neck of the disciples, which neither our fathers nor we were able to bear? But we believe that through the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, we shall be saved even as they beautifully beautiful wisdom here from the Lord himself because it says then all the multitude kept silence and gave audience to Barnabas and Paul declaring what miracles and wonders God had wrought among the Gentiles by them and after they had held their peace James answered saying men and brethren hearken unto me Simeon or Peter hath declared how God at the first did visit the Gentiles to take out of them a people for his name. And he's still doing that today. So be of good cheer. You can be of the ecclesia also. And to this agree the words of the prophets as it is written. After this, I will return and will build again the tabernacle of David, which is fallen down, and I will build again the ruins thereof, and I will set it up, that the residue of men might seek after the Lord, and all the Gentiles upon whom my name is called, saith the Lord, who doeth all these things. Mm -hmm. Known unto God are all his works from the beginning of the world, Wherefore, my sentence is that we trouble not them from which from among the Gentiles are turned to God, but that we write unto them that they abstain from pollutions of idols and from fornication and from things strangled and from blood. For Moses of old time hath in every city them that preach him, being read in the synagogues, every Sabbath day. He says, we've still got Moses being read. And then he says, we have the new, some new, just simple, simple requirements for the new converts to the Lord. He says, we're not going to burden them. This, it's just, we're going to keep it very simple here and not require that they go back under the law and start having to do circumcision and these other things. Well, what was the effect of that wisdom? It says, then it pleased the apostles and elders with the whole church to send chosen men out of their own company to Antioch with Paul and Barnabas, namely Judas, surnamed Barsabbas, and Silas. So Judas and Silas, chief men among the brethren. And they wrote letters by them after this manner. And they're, they're writing these letters now to greet the new Gentile converts. Here's what it says. The apostles and elders and brethren send greeting unto the brethren which are of the Gentiles in Antioch and Syria and Cilicia. For as much as we have heard that certain went out from us have troubled you with words, subverting your souls, saying, here is what they were saying to him, you must be circumcised and keep the law to whom we gave no such commandment. 
He said in the letter, it seemed good unto us, being assembled with one accord, to send chosen men unto you with our beloved Barnabas and Paul, men that have hazarded their lives for the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. We have sent, therefore, Judas and Silas, who shall also tell you the same things by mouth. For it seemed good to the Holy Ghost and to us to lay upon you no greater burden than these necessary things. Number one, that you abstain from meats offered to idols and from blood and from things strangled and from fornication, which, from which if you keep yourselves, you shall do well. Fare ye well. What a beautiful, peaceable message to offer these new Gentile converts. And says, so when they were dismissed, they came to Antioch. And when they had gathered the multitude together, they delivered this epistle, which when they had read, they rejoiced for the consolation. They were deeply comforted. Uh, and Judas and Silas, being prophets also themselves, exhorted the brethren with many words and confirmed them. So God gave confirmation through his prophets. And after they had tarried there a space, they were let go in peace from the brethren unto the apostles. Notwithstanding, it pleased Silas to abide there still. Paul also and Barnabas continued in Antioch, teaching and preaching the word of the Lord. That was big then. And folks, i got news for you now. Teaching and preaching the word of the Lord is big now. And um, myself, I'll speak for myself, I'm committed to that on your behalf. So cheer up. The explanation of the New Testament is going to come into your being and you're going to love it and you're going to rejoice. And God is going to fill you so full that you will take, you'll have, you'll have a great rejoicing the rest of your days. And your influence with the people and the nations around you will be expanded. So yes, they preached the word of the Lord and they taught. And Barnabas was determined to take with them John, whose surname was Mark. But Paul thought it not good to take him with them, who departed from them from Pamphylia and went not with them to the work. And the contention was sharp between them, that they departed to sunder one from the other. And so Barnabas took Mark and sailed unto Cyprus, and Paul chose Silas and departed, being recommended by the brethren unto the grace of God. And he went through Syria and Cilicia, confirming the churches, ma making them to be at peace about all matters concerning the faith. Now, over in Romans, Paul takes this, the subject a little further. And there were, there were doubt, still doubtful disputations um, going on about eating, drinking, keeping certain days, all, all of this. So Paul just exhorts the Romans, the Roman Jews, and the Roman Christians... Him that is weak in the faith receive ye, but not to doubtful disputations. For one believeth that he may eat all things. Another who is weak eateth herbs. Let not him that eateth despise him that eateth not. And let not him which eateth not judge him that eateth. For the point being, for God hath received him. Who art thou? And he brings up a really good subject here. Who art thou that judgest another man's servant? 
to his own master he standeth or falleth. Yea, he shall be holden up, for God is able to make him stand. One man esteemeth one day above another. Another esteemeth every day alike. And he knew this was going to happen between Christians and Jews. He said, let every man be fully persuaded in his own mind. In other words, you, if you're persuaded one way or another, God accepts you both. A Gentile culture or a Jewish culture. God did, in, in the New Testament, God did not differentiate. Not as long as they were filled with the Spirit and had a perfect belief in the Lord. And he goes on. One man esteemeth one day above another. Another esteemeth every day alike. And here's his conclusion. Let every man be fully persuaded in his own mind. Mm -hmm. Some of you have cultural things that you're used to doing. Paul doesn't argue with you on that. He said, He that regardeth the day regardeth it unto the Lord. And he that regardeth not the day to the Lord he doth not regardeth. Regard it. He that eateth, eateth to the Lord, for he giveth God thanks. And he that eateth not, to the Lord he eateth not, and giveth God thanks. For none of us live to himself, and no man dieth to himself. For whether we live, we live unto the Lord. And whether we die, we die unto the Lord. Therefore, whether we, whether we live, therefore we or die, we are the Lord's. For to this end... Christ both died and rose and revived that he might be Lord both of the dead and the living. And he gives Jews and Gentiles a really great caution here. He said, but why dost thou judge thy brother? Or why dost thou set at naught thy brother? For the, for, for the different ways of carrying things out. For we shall all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. I looked up the word set at naught. What it means in the Greek is to, if you do that, if you practice that, well, thinking you're closer to God because you keep certain practices, um, to set at naught means to make utterly nothing of. If I was to judge you or you out there, the days you keep or the, the, the way you keep feasts, which is totally fine in the mind of the Lord, as long as you're not judging another brethren for not partaking of the feast. Because in the Spirit, we keep the feast. If we're full of the Spirit, Paul said, let us keep the feast. What did he mean there? He meant the feast that's now in the Spirit. Not the ritual of doing something, but the, the spirit and heart of the matter. And that's the New Testament. But if we judge one another or set one another at naught, over these practices, it's not good. He said, you, you make utterly nothing of another brother in the Lord, or you despise them, or you find you think they're contemptible, least esteemed, and so you set them at naught. Paul, Paul said, don't do it. Don't do it. He said, we're all going to stand before the judgment seat of Christ. As it is written, as I live, saith the Lord, every knee shall bow to me, and every tongue shall confess to God. So then every one of us shall give account of himself to God. He said this, very important for Jews and Christians to be able to get along. He said, let us not therefore judge one another any more, but judge this rather, that no man put a stumbling block 
or an occasion to fall in his brother's way. He said, Paul said this, I know and am persuaded by the Lord Jesus that there's nothing unclean of itself, but to him that esteemeth anything to be unclean, to him it's unclean. He says, but if thy brother be grieved with thy meat, whatever liberty we have in the Lord, God accepts us in it, as long as our conscience is free and clear. But he said, if, if thy brother be grieved with thy meat, now walkest thou not charitably. Destroy not him with thy meat, or that your sense of liberality about something, for whom Christ died. And he said, if you're doing good, don't let your good be evil spoken of. For the kingdom of God is not meat and drink, but righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Ghost. This is the whole living out the whole New Testament. Let me read that scripture again. For the kingdom of God, which we've entered into once we're baptized and filled with the Holy Spirit, it said it's he said it's not meat and drink, it's not the ritual of doing natural things. It's righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Ghost. These are all spiritual matters. It those things fill our spirit and by it. We not only keep the law, but we fulfill it. So I'll repeat this verse again from Apostle Paul. For the kingdom of God is not meat and drink, but righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Ghost. For he that in these things serveth Christ is acceptable to God and approved of men. Let us therefore follow after the things which make for peace, and things wherewith one may edify another. For meat, or your particular sense of liberality in something, said you feel you've got a certain concept going, and God has allowed it, fine. But he said, for meat, destroy not the work of God. All things indeed are pure, but it is evil for that man who eateth with offense. He said, it's, it's good neither to eat flesh nor to drink wine, nor anything whereby thy brother stumbleth or is offended or is made weak. He said, hast thou faith? Have it to thyself before God. Happy is he that condemneth not himself in that thing which he alloweth. Yes. And he that doubteth is damned if he eat, because he eateth not of faith, for whatsoever is not of faith is sin. He... he um, emphasizes these certain themes in, in, in all through the New Testament, actually, every, almost every epistle he wrote. So now we're in 1 Corinthians 5, and he said to the church there, I wrote unto you in an epistle not to company with fornicators, yet not altogether with the fornicators of this world, or with the covetous, or extortioners, or with idolaters, for then you must you needs go out of the world. It's In other words, it's so abundant. It was abundant in Paul's time. It's more than abundant now. He says, but now I've written unto you not to keep company. If, if any man that is called a brother be a fornicator or covetous or an idolater or a railer or a drunkard or an extortioner with such an one, no, not to eat. He said, what have I to do to judge them that are without? Do not you judge them that are within. Yeah, we're supposed to. And he told us in one place, uh, set those that are least esteemed in the church to judge your small and great matters. So we got, uh, as Christians, as true followers of Jesus Christ, the, the ecclesia, 
we still have a long ways to go, folks. We still have a long ways to go. But them that are without, God judgeth. He said, therefore, put away from among yourselves that wicked person. Now, I'm reading another passage in here just to lead up to what he's saying here. All right, 1 Corinthians 5, verse 5. To deliver such an one, he was ready to, because there was an absurd fornication in the Corinthian church at the time, he said he was set to deliver such an one unto Satan for the destruction of the flesh, that the spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord Jesus. That was a wonderful determination Paul made because it was both merciful and, and there was a certain element of judgment on the flesh of that person at the same time. And it judged the church at that same and it cleansed the church at that same time. So he tells the Corinthians, they hadn't dealt with this until he came along. He said, your glorying is not good. Know you not that a little leaven leaveneth the whole lump? And he said, purge out therefore the old leaven. What's he talking about here? He's not talking about the first Passover. He's talking about the old leaven of, the, of wickedness and the, the fleshly mind, the mind that was in a person before conversion. The old leaven is the pre-converted state. Yeah. Purge out, therefore, the old leaven. It took a while for the Corinthians because they really had to come out of a heathen culture. Purge out the old leaven that you may be a new lump. And that's what we're to be as God's ecclesia, that new lump, as you are unleavened. For even Christ, our Passover, is sacrificed for us. All the feasts in the Old Testament were shadows and types of what Christ was going to come into the earth to do by his death and resurrection. Incredible. Yeah, types and shadows. They were looking to that day that, is, that was coming and is here now. It's here now. Christ, our Passover, is right here, right now, sacrificed for you and I, people. Then he says something very profound. Let us, therefore, therefore, let us keep the feast. Did he mean all of those Jewish feasts? No. He was talking about that new feast. The feast, well, let's go on. Here he explains it. Let us, therefore, keep the feast, not with old leaven, neither with the leaven of malice and wickedness, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. This feast that we keep now, by staying full of the Spirit and being true worshipers of God, is all in the Spirit. It, it incorporates the fruits and the gifts of the Spirit, people. This is the feast we're keeping now. This is the only one God really requires of his called out ones, whether Jew or Gentile. So if you Jews have a practice of keeping your feast, that's good and well. You, you have a right to celebrate him because you found that true Messiah. But even though also it goes beyond the keeping of the natural feasts because you are now partaking in the whole, the whole spirit of Christ incorporated within you, which is huge. You have become a universe within yourselves. Yeah, by understanding God's word, by, by vision, by revelation, by, the gifts, by incorporating the gifts of the Spirit and the fruits of the Spirit flowing through you. And you have come to bring that good message of the gospel. That's keeping the feast. This is what we do. Because our mind has been renewed to serve Christ in a brand new way that had never hit the earth before Christ came and did his 
duty here on earth and was died and uh, buried and rose again. So Paul just concludes this. He says, let us keep the feast. He wanted the Corinthians to advance spiritually here. That, and he says, let's keep it. Not with old leaven. Don't, use, don't go back to the ways of being unconverted. Mm -hmm. Neither with the leaven of malice and wickedness, which you knew, he said, before you were converted, but with now with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. In other words, no malice, no wickedness, no evil thing enters our being once we're filled with the Holy Spirit of God. It's magnificent. It's joy evermore. And then he says, I wrote unto you in an epistle not to company with fornicators, not altogether with the fornicators of this world or with the covetous or extortioners or with idolaters, for then must you needs go out of the world. But now I've written unto you not to keep company if any man that is called a brother be a fornicator or covetous or an idolater or a railer or a drunkard or an extortioner with such an one know not to eat. For what have I to do to judge them that are without. Do not you judge them that are within, but them that are without God judgeth. Therefore, he said, clean up. He said, put away from among yourselves that wicked person. Now, in Colossians 2, verse 16, it's very interesting. Like I said, right through his letters, Paul is talking to Jews and Gentiles and bringing them together. So he says this, let no man therefore judge you in meat or in drink or in respect of an holy day, holy day or of the new moon or of the Sabbath days, which are a shadow of things to come, but the body is of Christ. Now the word Sabbath in the Greek is the repose of the true Christian as a type of heaven, that eternal rest that we enter into. The one Paul talked about in Hebrews, enter, he that believeth has entered into his rest. That's the true Sabbath. Because Jesus said in the New Testament, I'm the Lord of the Sabbath. And if the Lord of the Sabbath is in us, every day is a Sabbath in God. We keep the Sabbath. We have entered into his rest in the spirit. Mm -hmm. But he said, nobody can judge you on what you keep and don't keep as far as the natural goes. He said, it's in the spirit now. So Paul is so, he's so broad concerning his, um, how he taught both Christians and Jews. Now another meaning for, um, in the Greek of Sabbath is the blessed rest from toils and troubles. Yeah, doesn't the speaking in our tongues, speaking in our, in our Holy Spirit language, it gives us rest. Yes. He said, with other lips and another tongue will I speak to this people. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we're, we have a, a through, through the utterance of the Spirit, through the gifts of the Spirit, through the fruits of the Spirit, we have blessed rest from toils and troubles. That's the Sabbath, folks. That's the one we've entered into in the New Testament. And he says it's a rest from uh, troubles, uh, and it's, it's enhanced, it's uh, indwelling in the true worshipers of God and the true, his true Christians. The word Christian means Christ contain or Christ within. There's the tr meaning of true Christian. 
That word is very abused today. But those of you who has, have his love, you believe him, you love the Lord, and you have his spirit, you're true Christians. As you walk in him, as you walk in the spirit and not in the flesh. Now in the, the Hebrew meaning is a, a day or weekly repose from secular avocations, also the observance or institution itself, by extension, the interval between two Sabbaths, likewise the plural, a Sabbath day or Sabbath week. And another, to repose, to desist from exertion. Well, you know, it's essentially the same meaning. God wanted to give his people rest. He's still determined to do that. He was determined to do that in the Old Testament. He's determined to do it now for those of you who will seek him and find him. A mm -hmm. little bit expanded meaning on the Hebrew uh, Shabbat. Rest, interruption, cessation, cease. Yeah, he that has entered into his rest has ceased from sin, it says in Hebrews. All right. So he exhorts the saints in Hebrews 3, harden not your hearts as in the day of provocation, in the day of temptation in the wilderness. He said, when your fathers tempted me, proved me, and saw my works 40 years. Wherefore, he said, this is very profound to me. Wherefore, I was grieved with that generation and said, they do always err in their heart and they have not known my ways. I found that interesting because I'm sh quite sure that every, every moment from the time they left Egypt, ever, er, after God told them, you're going you're gonna to perform every single Sabbath and you're going to do it exactly the way I tell you. They had to do no work. They were to rest. They did those Sabbaths for 40 years. Well, if that was so great, then how come God was grieved with them? They, they performed it. They did it. But yet God was grieved. With what was missing? Jesus Christ of Nazareth entering into us. They couldn't enter into his wrath because they, well, he explains here. The Sabbaths didn't do these people any good at all. You know why? One key here. He said, where I was grieved with that generation. I can imagine all the Sundays that must have taken up 40 years, and yet he was grieved. If it was so doggone pleasing to him, why did it grieve him? Didn't matter what they did, really. He says, it's, here's, the, here's the thing. When your fathers tempted me, proved me, and saw my works 40 years, wherefore I was grieved with that generation and said, they do always err in their heart and they've not known my ways, so I swear in my wrath. It actually made him very angry. They shall not enter into my rest. Take heed, brethren, lest there be in any of you, he said, an evil heart of unbelief. Key word here, unbelief. This is what grieved the Lord. They could go through all their forms and made rituals out of them, but if their hearts were, they didn't believe the Lord. And therefore, their hearts were filled with unbelief, which God says here, it was an evil heart of unbelief, and they, and they departed from the living God. And guess what? They grieved the Lord so much, he let their carcasses perish in the wilderness. Only two made it out of those millions. Because they had, the Bible says they had another spirit with them. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, quite the thing here. So 
if we're going to worship the Lord in any manner, we obviously, Paul is telling us that whatever we do, we have to do it in spirit and in truth. Like he told the woman at the well, they that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. And brethren, young converts, old converts, old Christians, young Christians, how do we do it? Keep exercising your love for the Lord. Keep exercising your tongues, your prayer life, your prayer language. Keep edifying the saints. Keep teaching the word. Keep prophesying. Keep tongues and interpretation in your midst. Keep celebrating the life and the love of the Lord. Yeah, every time you eat your meal, every time you drink your, your drink, every time you sit down to eat and drink, you do show the Lord's death till he come. The Lord said, as often as you do this, do this in remembrance of me. It's very simple. He's made it the heart and the spirit of us fulfill all the old law. Yeah. Didn't he say later that the, uh, the law was our schoolmaster to bring us unto Christ? And now we have that great rest. So let's make sure, saints of God, that we continue believing God. Obviously, with the Lord, that was totally essential that we believe God. Then he won't be grieved with us. We'll be fully acceptable in his sight because that's what took the Israelites down. And it didn't matter to God how many Sabbaths they kept. That wasn't enough to satisfy him. He even said in another place, burnt offerings and sacrifice, I'll have none of it. Mm -hmm. But a contrite heart, he said, I'll accept. So Paul goes on to say to, to the Ecclesia here, but exhort one another daily. That means plead. Exhort means plead. With one another daily while it is called today, while you still have time, in other words, lest any of you be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. For we are made partakers of Christ if we hold the beginning of our confidence steadfast unto the end. While it is said today, if you will hear his voice, he said, harden not your hearts as in the provocation. For some, when they had heard, did provoke. Howbeit not all that came out of Egypt by Moses. As I mentioned, there were two that made it out of millions. Mm -hmm. But with, with whom was he grieved 40 years? Was it not with them that had sinned, whose carcasses fell in the wilderness? And to whom swear he, that they should not enter into his rest, but to them that believed not. So obviously, unbelief was a big deal to God himself. And Paul reiterates that as a warning and a caution to both to Jews and Christians who believed and who do believe in the Lord even unto this day. So we see that they could not enter in because of unbelief. That's something we have to take that warning and that caution and remember it forever. Remember that we keep the Sabbath in the true sense of the word by entering into his rest. That's the one he wants from us. He, and he goes on, Let us therefore fear, lest a promise being left us of entering into his rest any of you should seem to come short of it. Let's not. Let's not seem to come short of, of the Lord's rest, for it's the greatest thing in the universe once we entered in. Yeah, he that is ceased 
when you enter into his rest, you've ceased from your own works. It's a wonderful state. It's a wonderful state, people. For unto us was the gospel preached as well as unto them. But the word preached did not profit them, not being mixed with faith in them that heard it. For we which have believed do enter into rest or Sabbath. As he said, as I've sworn in my wrath, if they shall enter into my rest, although the works were finished from the foundation of the world. For he spake in a certain place of the seventh day on this wise, and God did rest the seventh day from all his works. And in this place again, if they shall enter into my rest, seeing therefore it remaineth that some must enter therein, and the Lord has decreed it, and we want to be among those that enter in. We have to press in to obtain that kingdom of God with our faith. So he says, it remains that some must enter therein. And they to whom it was first preached entered not in because of unbelief. Again, he limiteth a certain day in David, saying in David, today, after so long a time, as it is said, today, if you will hear his voice, harden not your hearts. For if Jesus had given them rest, back in the old time, then would he not afterward have spoken of another day? Well, that other day is the indwelling spirit in each of us upon this earth right now. That we're in that new day. We're in that, that's the other day that Paul is talking about right here. Yeah, we're in that other day. Or in other words, we're in a whole new time frame before God. It's not like the old, the days of old. He said, there remaineth therefore a rest to the people of God. And I, I, I probably said this before, but here's the actual scripture for it. For he that is entered into his rest, or Sabbath, he also hath ceased from his own works as God did from his. Let us, and then it's interesting the words, wording he uses here. So there is a, uh, we have to, we rest, but there's a labor involved even in both entering and staying into that rest. We have to labor spiritually over it. We can't just let by, you know, oh, ho-hum, I'm good to go and be lax in our um, Christian walk. He said that let us labor therefore to enter into that rest, lest any man fall after the same example of unbelief. For the word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit and of the joints and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. Neither is there any creature that's not manifest in his sight, but all things are naked and opened unto the eyes of him with whom we have to do. Well, if our conscience is clean, we've entered into that rest then. And we don't mind the, the word of God searching us because we're now made partakers of Christ. So he says, uh, all things are, are naked and opened under the eyes of him with whom we have to do. So uh, unlike Adam and Eve who lost their covering, we have that covering of Christ. And we don't mind if the Lord searches us. I say every day, Lord, let your word search me. Let me know if there's any, anything amiss in me. And if so, blot it out. 
and renew a right spirit within me. That should be our attitude, people of God, wide open to the Lord. He's going to search us. It's up to him, and he's going to search us when he wants to search us. So let him. Let's allow the Lord that complete search. But there's encouragement in our, in our uh, openness here. He said, seeing that we have a great high priest that is passed into the heavens, plural. We don't stop at third heaven because there's many. And Jesus didn't, uh, the word does not give uh, the exact number. They're probably numerous uh, without number. That would be my take on it. Seeing then that we have a great high priest that is passed into the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our profession. For we have not an high priest which cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted like as we are, yet without sin. So it's possible when we walk in the Spirit to live above sin. Once we're more acquainted with the Lord, we don't make those same mistakes as we did when we're starting out, and we get perfected and refined. That's, that's how he takes us along. He says, therefore, let us therefore come boldly unto the throne of grace, that we may obtain mercy and find grace, or Jesus Christ, to help in time of need. And just some review from how, how Jesus was entreated as he walked this earth. He had, to, he had to transition from Old Testament to New Testament. That was very painful for the uh, um, leaders of the Jews of, of that day. It was very painful for them. They couldn't hack it, especially the Pharisees and the Sadducees. So let's go, let's take a look at Jesus' walk for a minute here. He had to tell them in Mark 2, 27 and 28, and he said unto them, The Sabbath was made for man, and not man for the Sabbath. They had really turned this thing around, and they were doggedly working after it. It didn't count with the Lord. He says, Therefore the Son of Man is Lord also of the Sabbath. Now to go to Matthew 12, 1 to 8. At that time, Jesus went on the Sabbath day. You know, Jesus was determined to break the law. He actually broke the law right in front of them. Because he had to. He had to shatter their minds. So he purposely, at times, broke the law. At that time, Jesus went on the Sabbath day through the corn. He knew what, we, what he was going to do. He knew what they were going to say. And he knew what was going to come of it. And his disciples were, were unhungered and begin to pluck the ears of corn and to eat. But when the Pharisees saw it, they said unto him, Behold, thy disciples do that which is not lawful to do upon the Sabbath day. <laughs> but he said unto them, Have you not read what David did when he was unhungered and they that were with him, how he entered into the house of God and did eat the shoe bread, which was not lawful for him to eat, neither for them which were with him, but only for the priests? Or have you not read in the law how that on the Sabbath days the priests in the temple profane the Sabbath and are blameless? But I say unto you that in this place is one greater than the temple. But if you had known what this meaneth, I will have mercy and not sacrifice, you would not have condemned the guiltless. He rendered his own disciples guiltless for doing what they did, even though they broke the Sabbath. The Lord is very bold here. He said, conclusion, for the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath day. The Jews, that, oh, 
Here they go. The Jews therefore, now there's another scenario where a man was cured on the Sabbath day. And I'm reading what the Jews said to the Lord. This is in John 5, and we'll start in verse 10. The Jews therefore said unto him that was cured, It is the Sabbath day. It's not lawful for thee to carry thy bed. <laughs> he answered them, Oh, this is the man that was healed. Just talks back to these Jews. He answered them, He that made me whole, the same said unto me, Take up thy bed and walk. Then they asked him, What man is that which said to thee, Take up thy bed and walk? And he that was healed wist not who it was. For Jesus had conveyed himself away, a multitude being in that place. Afterward, Jesus findeth him in the temple and said unto him, Behold, thou art made whole. Sin no more, lest a worse thing come unto thee. There was his, he had to convert, in other words. Another change your life. Mm -hmm. Repent, and so on. The man departed and told the Jews that it was Jesus which had made him whole. There, and therefore did the Jews persecute Jesus and sought to slay him. Why? Because he'd done these things on the Sabbath day. Mm -hmm. Broke their tradition. But he had to, because again, that New Testament had to come crashing in. He was exchanging the old for the new. Mm -hmm. Even though we, by today, dear Jews and Gentiles, we keep the heart and spirit of the law. Because Paul declared that our righteousness keeps the law. Mm -hmm. Yeah. We're, we actually have been determined by God to fulfill the law. Those that walk in the Spirit fulfill the law. So it's a good thing to not only seek for the Spirit, have, have Him in your life abundantly, but be able to through the heart and the spirit, fulfill that law. What, what's, what's the one thing that fulfills the law? One thing disciple John left us with, and he said, love one another, didn't he? Love one another. And Jesus said, a new commandment I give unto you. He didn't, he didn't heap up a bunch of commandments on them. He only left them with one. Love one another as I have loved you. And it's not hard to do. Because he just fills us. We want to. We're motivated to. This is the most wonderful. And see, Jesus, walking on earth, had to make the way. He had to tread that path so that the new could be obtained. So here we go now. And there's Paul reiterating this. This is so wonderful. Romans 8, verse 1. There is therefore now, dear Christian, if you're wondering out there, do I keep the law? Am I good enough? Do I need to do this? Do I need to do that? Just take a, take a break, step back, listen carefully. Paul says this, There is therefore now, right now, dear Christian, dear spirit-filled Jew, there is now no condemnation to them which are in Christ, Jesus, who or Yeshua, Hamashiach, who walk not after the flesh, but after the spirit. I love it. For the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus. There's the New Testament. Let me say that again. For the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus hath made me free from the law of sin and death. Mm -hmm. Yeah. What happened on Mount Sinai when Moses 
had to come, he had to go back up to the mount the second time because they had risen up to play. Children of Israel uh, said, oh, as for this Moses, we want not what has become of him. And when he came down that first time, he saw that they had committed fornication and idolatry. And it, he, he was very angry. And that day, about 3,000 were slain at the bottom of Mount Sinai. And Paul had, um, Moses had to go up again. But remember now, that was Old Testament. New Testament times were ushered in. Right after Jesus was risen, he sent the Holy Ghost. They were all, the hundred, about 120 of them were gathered in that upper room. And there was suddenly there was a sound of a rushing mighty wind. And it shook and it filled that place where they were sitting. And they all began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance, people. <laughs> and right after that, it was noised abroad and Peter was emboldened to preach to the multitude that had gathered in Jerusalem that day. And, and as he preached to them, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins. And you shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost for the promise is unto you and to your children and to all that are far off, even as many as the Lord our God shall call. And it said, and that same day, there were added unto them about 3,000 souls. <laughs> At the foot of Mount Sinai, 3,000 died. After Pentecost, 3,000 were saved. Isn't that glorious? You want to be in Old Testament times? I don't think so. There is a better day, people. We have actually entered into a better day. That's why... You know, the, the Old Testament ha has its purpose, even to teach us things, that, even today. But we are prepared of God now through the Holy Spirit to keep the whole law. And we do it with like, almost automatically because we love him and we love his people so much. Peter was so convincing through the power of the Holy Ghost. The 3,000 were added to the Lord. New Testament, far better. Yeah, Paul speaks of far better things. In Hebrews, he says, better days, a better commandment, and a far better, if you would say, time that we're in. So let me finish here in Romans. For the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus hath made me free from the law of sin and death. Yes, we're free from that condemnation because Jesus took it upon himself on that cross. For what the law could not do in that it was weak through the flesh, God sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin condemned sin in the flesh. He did it once for all, people. That Here it is what I just told you before, that the righteousness of the law might be fulfilled in us. How's that happen? Who walk not after the flesh, but after the spirit. There's our key. We have to just stay in the spirit and then we fulfill the law. This is amazing. Most of your church world out there doesn't, do not, they do not know these things. They have not been taught these things. But God is raising up teaching priests 
Mm -hmm. And we're here. And we, because we love you, we're going to give you all of these hidden things and these hidden secrets. And we're going to make them known unto you. Take them on. But they they're after the spirit, the things of the spirit. That's why we're enabled to fulfill the law. We don't, you don't want to commit murder. You don't want to do those things that were outlined in the Ten Commandments. I mean, you, you, there's some of them you do do, but you know, the things that you're not supposed to do, you don't want to do them. The Spirit in Christ wouldn't let you sin that way. You don't want to. You don't have the motivation to sin. You're of a new mind and heart. Mm -hmm. Okay, for to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. Because the carnal mind is enmity against God, for it is not subject to the law of God, neither indeed can be. So that then they that are in the flesh cannot please God. Ever wondered why, dear, dear saint, why it was so hard to um, live in this world before you were converted? Because you were trying to please God in the flesh. It was a very hard thing to do. It, it is impossible. And Paul says so. But then, once you've received the Spirit, this is what he says, but you are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if so be that the Spirit of God dwell in you. Keyword dwell. He has to be in you. He has to make his abode there. Not just visit once in a while. He has to move in and stay permanently. Now, if any man have not the Spirit of Christ, he is none of his. There's a, there is a line of demarcation. There's people that say they're Christians, but they don't have the Spirit dwelling within them. And those of you who practice discernment, you'll soon know by their fruits. You're going to know them, Jesus said. And then Paul goes on, And if Christ be in you, the body is dead because of sin, but the spirit is life because of righteousness. Yes, righteousness. The Lord's righteousness enters you. Your whole being fills you up, and you're able to live out that life of righteousness because the old man is crucified with him, and the new man lives. Christ lives through you. That's how Paul declared his testimony. Except for Christ lives in me. Mm -hmm. So that's a few exhortations that I had for you. You dear spirit-filled Jews and you dear spirit-filled Gentiles, come together and don't put any burdens on one another and don't set each other at naught just because your customs might be a little different. God accepts you all because of the heart and spirit of his dear son. If you love him and you have faith in him, doesn't matter. If you want to celebrate a day or a Sabbath, do it wholeheartedly. And if you're not given to, to a certain day, do that wholeheartedly as unto the Lord. Either way, your conscience is clear before God, and that's what he loves, and that's what he accepts. And you, you dear ones out there need to know you're accepted of the Lord. You're not condemned with the world. So peace be unto you and love with faith. I'll see you again soon. And that was Carol, our dear friend, with a beautiful message on how Apostle Paul used incredible wisdom to unify those early churches. So glad you could have joined us for this uh, this episode and this edition. It's it's a an incredible time. It's an incredible time, and God will do wondrous miracles. And actually, in Psalms, I believe it's seventy eight seventy two verse eighteen. 
It says, blessed be the Lord God of Israel, who only doeth wondrous things. So as we walk in the spirit, we will be part of those wondrous things as well. And I'll leave you with this. John 1 verse 17. It says, for the law was given by Moses, but grace and truth came by Jesus Christ. And that word truth means nothing's hidden. We're not ignorant of anything. The Lord gives us a perfect understanding for all things in all times. And now that we spent the last couple hours getting our love on, let's make sure we keep our love on. Road to righteousness tends to be long. So keep your love on, on. Crack yourself a smile or sing a song. But I keep my love on. Man or woman, man or woman who is so down, try keep your love on, on. Sons and daughters, sons and daughters of the one true God, keep your love on. Keep your love on, child. Let it shine bright, bright, bright. Keep your love on, 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 on Don't let it die, don't let it die, don't let it die, no, no It's a simple message, but that doesn't mean it's wrong I keep my love on if I were you And I'm a simple singer But my heart and mind are strong I keep my love on Yes I do You must dream in color Ask your questions Cause life does not give honorable mentions Thinking more than two dimensions In case your tightrope loses tension I'll be here if ever you need a friend you know I will And I'll be here too To lend a friendly hand